to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, or to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. A few moments. I want to talk from this thought, untimely surprises. Untimely surprises. Some people love them. Some people hate them. I believe I fit in the latter group. I don't like surprises. Truth is, most of us don't care much for them. Much as society tries to make a big deal out of surprise parties, we really don't like surprises. Don't get me wrong, when it's done right, surprises can produce some noble experiences. There's nothing like a well thought out, thoroughly organized, well executed, timely surprise. But therein lies the problem that there are just so many different variables that have to work together in order to pull off a breathtaking and life-giving surprise. Subsequently, it is almost inevitable that something will go wrong. And instead of exhilaration, there's usually some form of deflation. And the air is sucked out of the room that was once filled with anticipation. But everyone has to act surprised, even if the surprise has really fallen flat. It's hard to pull off a good surprise. And considering how nosy we are and how we pride, how we try to figure out everything that's going on around us, it makes it even more difficult for someone to pull off a surprise. As a result, most of us like to plan ahead. We try to iron out all of the details, we contemplate all of the possible scenarios and develop contingency plans in order to avoid unexpected surprises. In sports, teams plan, anticipating the other team's tendencies uh, so that their players will be prepared for the game in order to guard against the opponent's strategies. They don't want any surprises. In presidential politics, campaigns give the same stunt speeches, hammer out the same media talking points, and significantly vet anyone that's in close proximity to the campaign because they want to prevent what they call an October surprise as election day approaches. They don't want any surprises. And even when we look at our own lives, we have to admit that um, we try to avoid surprises. I know it's a big deal. We love to see a surprise, but we don't really want surprises. We budget our finances. We save money for personal savings and emergency savings. We try to calculate all of the probabilities of success before we um, entertain or undertake any type of um, venture. We try to have a certain goal saved for retirement to ensure that we have comfort beyond our working days. Some of us even like me. We overpack for overnight travel. 
Because we want to be sure that when we get to wherever we are planning to land, that we have everything that we can possibly need in those bags. We have clothes for if it's hot. We have clothes for if it's warm. We have clothes if it's cold. We have clothes just in case it rains. We, we have all these different things, and most of the time, we have more than we need, if you like me. When you get back home, you don't even have to unpack. You just keep it packed for the next time you have to ride because most of the things that are in there have gone unused. Amen. All right. Surprises. But the fact of the matter is, my brothers and sisters, life is full of surprises. No matter how careful we plan and how diligent we prepare, life still will blindside us. Things will catch us off guard and cause things to spiral out of control, causing us to lose this false sense that we were ever in control. Right when we think we've reached equilibrium, something knocks us off of our perch of comfort. Unexpected occurrences come in the most inopportune times. As soon as we resolve one thing, something else falls apart. We hate surprises, but unexpected, unwarranted, untimely surprises are part of life that we must learn to handle gracefully as we peer from through this broken and barren land. This text teaches us that some surprises should be embraced because they have divine implications despite the initial inconveniences that they may bring. I'm going to say again, some surprises need to be embraced because they have divine implications despite the initial inconvenience that they may initially bring. And that's what we see in this text. Caesar has um, called for a census of the Roman Empire. The text says that the decree was issued that all the world should be registered. The clause, all the world, my brothers and sisters, gives us an insight into the vastness of Roman power. It speaks to the time and the culture at which the Savior was born. Jesus was born into oppression as a Jew under the tyranny of the Roman Empire. However, this call for a census uh, is not something that was uncommon. It is normally every seven years or so, Caesar would call for a registry of all of the citizens of the Roman Empire in order to um, make sure that resources are evenly dispersed, even though it would weigh more heavily to naturally born Roman citizens. Well, to make sure that they had proper revenue and could um, have an estimation of how much revenue would come in from taxes. I also want to ensure that they were able to maintain their military might in order to continue their campaign and their expansion into the known world. It's similar to the census that the United States Constitution calls for every 10 years. The census required in the Roman times that every man return to his hometown to register he and his household. Joseph has to make an approximate 80 to 90 mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem because that is the place of his roots. This is a family trip. Mary, who is now Joseph's wife, which means that she lives with him. She lives with him because the angel commanded him to do so. 
on the way. It seems, my brothers and sisters, if you look at it, Jesus is arriving a bit early. If it would seem as if they were not anticipating this happening. Jesus is coming early. Is he early? Well, the fact of that is, of course not, he's not early. He's God. And the old church had it right. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. He's never too early. He's never too late. He's an on-time God. He may be biologically early, but he's biblically on time. He may be chronologically early, but he is um, cardiologically on time. He, he may be um, early based on Mary and Joseph's personal preference, but prophetically, he is on time. Did they not see this coming? Did Mary not know how far along she was? I mean, you should at least have a contingency plan if we'll get close to the time of expectation of the baby's arrival. Ah, uh, I mean, Nazareth to Bethlehem is not a stroll in the park. And this is probably not a part of her prenatal of care prescription. I mean, literally, she walked a road or whatever she did from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. Old folks would say she done walked that baby down. <laughs> Why did she even make the trip? Why go? If you know that you're this close, why leave? I mean, Nazareth may not do all of that, but Nazareth definitely probably has better care than Bethlehem does. Why risk it? Why would you do that? I mean, if the gossip mills in Nazareth working overtime and becoming overbearing, was the street press of Nazareth um, still stuck on the headline that Mary is pregnant and Joseph is not the father. Has no news broke in the last nine months to cause people to look somewhere else at, that you have a great farmer, uh, people and their small talk conversation because you know small minds think small things. All of that though is interesting but it's really not consequential right now. Because the baby is coming. It may not be the time you anticipated it coming, but the baby is coming. Surprise. Look at Joseph and Mary. Can't you see the panic on their faces? I mean, I think sometimes we read this story and we become so familiar with it that we have tamed it. That we may deceive us if Mary and Joseph are just walking along, walking with Jesus, saying, I know the Lord will make a way somehow, and everything is all right. But can't you see this young couple? This is a highly stressful situation. Neither of them 
if there's not enough pressure that this is your first child, you're in the boonies with nobody there, with any experience, your husband, and you don't have any experience. As a matter of fact, y'all just got over the fact that this baby is not his, and he has got this message from God, and he's willing to accept this and move forward, and now you're dealing with this type of pressure. It's God's baby to wait. It's not just God's baby. The angel tells Joseph, his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is not just God's baby, this is God. Things are getting tense. Joseph's palms are sweating. Mary is feeling her first contraction. She looks at Joseph and she doesn't look like this delightful, pleasant girl that he met. Some years ago that he wanted to make his wife, she looks at him and he, she screams and says, Joseph, you're the man. Do something. Handle this. You want me to have the baby and figure out how to have it and where we're going to have it at the same time? What are you doing? Stop to that spending like a little boy, like you don't know how to be a man. Man up, Joseph. This ain't the time for you to get weak on me now. Can't you see the panic? Joseph knows the lay of the land in Bethlehem. It is his own town. And he goes to the inn. The text says the inn because it's probably the only inn in town. <laughs> she goes to the inn. And he knocks. And the keeper of the inn informs him that we don't have any room. This is not Motel 6. I'm sorry. I forgot to talk to some people who are more bougie. This is not the Marriott. This is not the Four Seasons. This is not the Plaza. This is not the Waldorf Astoria. This is simply a guest house on the town corner where people can go and have a little overnight stay. It's more of a bed and breakfast type of situation going on here. He knocks. The man says, I'm sorry. You know all these people in town. They already have taken up all the space. And then he pleads to no avail. My wife is in labor. Surely you have a room. And then he should have stopped there. But in my imagination, I hear Joseph saying, um, my wife is in labor. You have room. She's having God. She's having God's name. Definitely you'll make room for the Messiah. My, my, my wife is giving birth to the Messiah. The woman probably looks at Joseph last, shuts the door, and says, you've been hanging with the boys a little too long. Like you had one drink too many. Dismisses him. And now Joseph is sitting there. This is probably the best option that he has. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? When uh, the man fell along robbers on Jericho Road. The Bible says Samaritan comes along. He binds up his wounds. Then he takes him to the end. And he tells the keeper of the end. I need you to look after him. Take care of him. And if there is anything that you have to spend extra charges, then I will reimburse you when I return. It gives this whole implication that the inn is not just a place where you can go and lay your head, but the innkeeper also is there to make sure that whatever the guests need is there for. He's there to assist the guests. Joseph is probably disappointed because he said, man, at least I thought I had somebody who could be with me in this thing. Somebody who may have been in a birthing room. Maybe there was a big white at the end. Maybe there was somebody. Maybe there was a doctor in time. But that means nothing now because the end is no longer an option. And the situation is still not resolved. The contractions are getting closer. The mirror's pain is getting more and more intense. Something has to give. And suddenly, 
to the backyard to a stable. But the Bible does not say anything about a stable. Uh, that works good for marketing and selling nativity scenes so that when you go to your kitchen table, you've got the little stable and all the little horses and all the little goats and little baby Jesus and the little animals are looking down at Jesus as if they're so delighted to see this new baby in their home. The Bible does not say anything about a stable. The Bible says that they laid the baby in a manger. And most of the Lord's historians have made it simple that Jesus is not born in a stable, but Jesus is born in a cave on the outside. And it just so happened that in that cave there was a feeding trough for animals, i.e. a manger. In a cave outside, winds blowing on the side of a road in the boondocks of Judea, in the backwoods, in the country on a dirt road. There in a cave, the Savior is born. Surprise. I suggest this was not just a miraculous conception. Sure, it was a miraculous conception because a virgin is pregnant with a child, but this is also a miraculous birth. It's a miraculous birth because there are no doctors, there are no midwives, there's no experienced mother or father. But when we look at the text, and you're trying to figure out how in the world could just two people who are young Recent newlyweds, still virgins, have enough sense to give birth to a child. How can Joseph know when to tell them to push and when to breathe? How did Joseph know how to get through this? You have two novels outside, in the country, in a cave, along a dirt road, and Jesus is born, and the only Surprises. Because some of us are looking at our 
Surprise. You thought that thing was going to take a turn in this direction that God says, surprise. And you thought that it was falling apart and you thought you weren't going to make it and you thought that at that moment you should give up on life and everything that you had hoped for was gone but God stepped in in that situation. I need some folks that's been there before. Some people can't testify because you're still going through. But there are some people who come through the through and they can testify that I thought I wasn't going to make it. I thought I was going to fall apart. I thought I was going to lose my mind. But God worked that thing out in such a way that it blew my mind and he just surprised me. Right there when I thought I was about to throw in the towel and give up and I was at the end of my rope, God stepped in and said surprise. And this text shows us two things about surprises that are untimely. Not that we need to learn so that we don't fall apart when surprise is coming to our lives. The first thing is, this text shows us that untimely surprises can be providential. They can be providential. Uh, when we look at this text, I want to just say very quickly that this happened this way because God had ordained for it to happen this way. Ah, uh, this is why. See, God has already promised, as Warren Rinsman says in his commentary, that God promised the Savior would be human, not an angel. A Jew, not a Gentile. From the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David, born of a virgin, in Bethlehem, in the city of David. God had already said that he wouldn't be born in Nazareth. God has already said he would not be born in Jerusalem. He's already said he wouldn't be in Capernaum. He wouldn't be in a major metropolitan area, but he will be born in Bethlehem. God has arranged this thing in such a way that uh, he starts in Nazareth with a girl that is betrothed, but not yet
and then get it. God says, you got to go through it. And you know, here's good news about it. He didn't say you got to go to it. He said you got to go through it. I love when I read the 23rd of the song. It says, there is a valley of the shadow of death. But it says, they know I walk through it. Stop crying about stuff you hear right now because God didn't break it down to me. He's just taking you through it. Some things you got to go through for God's glory and for the good of somebody else. And this is what happens in this text. Joseph and Mary goes through it. That stressful night, nobody else knows what it's like to be there but them. Nobody knows what they were feeling that night but them. Nobody else can even identify with what they were going through but them. But they had to go through all of that. Get this, for the glory of God and for the good of us. What are you talking about, Pastor? I know how God got going from how, how did I benefit from it? Well, you see, God had to have Jesus born in that cave in the Buddhist out uh, on a dirt road in Bethlehem. God had to ensure that the end wasn't there. He had to make sure that there was no preferential treatment for the Savior. He had to ensure that there was no red carpet laid out for him to ride. He, he wanted to make sure that when he comes into the world, he does not come in the world with a silver spoon in his mouth. Because he had to be the Savior of all Yeah. 